singing it. We're so grateful for them. Absolutely. You know, sometimes we just need something to pick us up. Sometimes we need something that just makes us feel better. And sometimes there are just certain stories that, man, they just they make you feel better about yourself. So if you had a bad week, if maybe things aren't going the way you want, I hope this story will maybe cheer you up a little bit. So there were two young guys in Connecticut and things weren't going well. And they decided they needed to make more money. So they came up with a brilliant plan on how to do that. They were going to rob a bank. But these guys, they were extra smart. They were real geniuses. They didn't want to do it the old-fashioned way where you come into the bank, maybe you have a stocking over your head, and you know, like in the movies where you give them the note, stick them up, fill the bag with money. These guys weren't going to go to that much effort. They decided to call ahead. They called the bank. They said, we are going to rob the bank, and we're not messing around. So you better have $100,000 in a bag, and don't put any of that exploding dye in the bag because we don't want that. But you better have that money or we're going to get really mad. The teller said, can you hold, please? And the guy says, okay. So he's on hold for 10, 15 minutes, still waiting on hold while she calls the police and tells him that this guy has called in. And she says, and the police said, just say, that's fine, come on by. So after a long time, he gets, gets the receptionist back on, and she says, okay, well, come on by. And he goes, all right, because this is serious, and my partner's about to be there, and you better have that money. Hangs up the phone. The guy comes in, comes up, and he's like, did my partner call? Yes, here's the money. So he takes the money. He goes outside in front of the bank, and he opens it up. And what do you think happened? The die just explodes. The police came, and he and his partner were arrested. And I don't know about you, but that makes me feel so much better about my week. <laughs> makes me feel better about who I am. These guys were clearly desperate. They were so desperate, but yet they weren't even willing to make the right effort. They called ahead to rob a bank. And it's never good when you're desperate, because when you're desperate, you do and believe things that are not true. And one of the scariest places to be desperate is when it comes to our faith. A desperate faith is not a saving faith. And what we want to look at today is truly understanding the difference between a desperate faith and a saving faith. So as we continue to go through our game changers, we're in John's gospel. So if you want to open up, we're in John chapter 4. We're going to start at verse 43. And understand this is Jesus returning to Cana. He had already performed the miracle from water to wine. Remember, Jesus has gone to the temple and they're using the temple kind of as a market. He overturns the tables. My father's house will not be used like this. We see that Jesus has talked to Nicodemus. He's talked to the woman at the well. And so now we come upon our text here. So John 4, starting at verse 43. After two days, he left for Galilee. Now Jesus himself had pointed out that a prophet has no honor in his own country. When he arrived in Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him. They had seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the Passover festival, for they had also been there. Once more he visited Cana in Galilee, where he had turned the water into wine. And there was a certain royal official whose son lay sick at Capernaum. When this man heard what Jesus had arrived in Galilee from Judea, he went to him and begged him to come and heal his son who was close to death. Unless you people see signs and wonders, Jesus told him, you will never believe. The royal official said, Sir, come down before my child dies. Go, Jesus replied, your son will live. 
The man took Jesus at his word and departed. While he was still on the way, his servants met him with the news that his boy was living. When he inquired as to the time when his son got better, they said to him, Yesterday at one in the afternoon, the fever left him. Then the father realized that this was the exact time at which Jesus had said to him, Your son will live. So he and his whole household believed. This was the second sign Jesus performed after coming from Judea to Galilee. One of the unique things about John's gospel is John shows us the gospel is for everybody. It doesn't matter what your economics are. It doesn't matter your ethnicity. It doesn't matter your geography. It doesn't matter your history. Jesus has spoken to a Jewish teacher about the gospel. He has spoken to a Samaritan woman about the gospel. And now he's coming and he's going to share the gospel with a Roman official. So that runs the gamut. That The gospel is for everybody. Now, what do we know about this Roman official? He's pretty high up in the government. Probably works for Herod. Probably does very, very well in his life. And yet, all of a sudden, his world changed. He went from maybe not caring about the things of God because life was good. He was a royal official. He had a good job. Probably had a nice home. Probably had a lot of money. And we'll find out later, even had servants that worked for him. So things were going well. So why should he care about the things of God? And then his world changed. His son got ill. Now, all of a sudden, he starts to care a little bit because his son is ill. And if he's a royal official, he probably tried to cash in every favor that he had to try to get his son healed. He probably had the royal doctors look at him. He probably had friends in the community look at him. He probably used every inch of power that his position and every inch of influence that he had to try to get his son help. But it wasn't working. His son was still ill. And so what he does is he swallows his pride as a Roman official... He walks the 16 to 20 miles over rocky terrain to get to this teacher, this rabbi, this carpenter named Jesus. And he throws himself at the feet of Jesus, begging Jesus to heal his son. And what he has is a desperate faith. His life had become so desperate, he had become so distraught that now all of a sudden he's caring and he's seeking God. Now, he's not seeking the truth of who Jesus is. He's looking for a quick fix, a quick fix for his son. See, he's developed a desperate faith, which is not real faith. But every one of us knows what it is to have a desperate faith. If you lose your job, you develop a desperate faith. If you lose a loved one, you can develop a desperate faith. If your children get ill or your children are wandering away from you or from the Lord, you can develop a desperate faith. Physical illness will develop a desperate faith, but that is not a saving faith. And what we have to understand is desperate faith is really no faith at all. And so this man is coming to Jesus, and we see that Jesus is welcomed in Galilee. We read that people were excited to see him. The Galileans were excited to see him. This man was excited to see him. And do you know why they were excited to see him? Because of the miracles of Jesus. Everybody celebrates the miracles of Jesus. If Jesus gets you a job, you celebrate that miracle. If Jesus brings your child back, you celebrate that miracle. If Jesus heals your marriage, you celebrate that miracle. But that is not seeing Jesus for who he is. Jesus is not just a miracle worker in our lives. He is the Messiah. And see, when we have desperate faith, our vision of Jesus becomes clouded. 
So this man comes, everybody celebrates that the miracle worker's here. Everybody. And you would think that Jesus would respond. But what does Jesus say? He says, unless you people see signs and wonders, you'll never believe. So Jesus rebukes not just this man, this royal official, but he also rebukes the crowd because they were cheering for the miracles. They weren't cheering for the Messiah. Think about when Jesus came in on the donkey as he went to the cross. People, Hosanna, Hosanna. They were cheering the miracle. They weren't cheering the Messiah. One is a desperate faith. One is a saving faith. See, what these people had, and even what this man had, is their faith was the minimum. And the minimum became the maximum. When the minimum becomes the maximum of our faith, we don't have a faith. When the only time we have faith is when we need a miracle of Jesus. When we need Jesus to save us and to rescue us and to heal us. And that is the minimal amount of faith that we have. And we only see Jesus as a miracle worker and not as the Messiah. Then we're missing out. The minimum can't be the maximum when it comes to our faith. So this man goes from I don't care to now he's starting to care. So his faith is, is growing a little bit because he's recognizing I can't save my son. And what we have to recognize is we can't save ourselves. See, what was happening is this man was experiencing a breakdown. Have you ever had a breakdown in your life where everything's falling apart? Everything. Physical, financial, relational, social. Everything is falling apart. And you say, God, everything is falling apart in my life. I'm a mess. My kids are a mess. My job is a mess. Our finances are a mess. When everything's breaking down, you know what's about to happen? You're about to have a breakthrough. That's how God works. Sometimes we have to have a breakdown before we can have a breakthrough. This man had to have religion fail him, finances fail him, doctors fail him, other people fail him. He had to have everything fail in his life. They had to break down before he could have a breakthrough and start to know the difference between desperate faith and saving faith. See, we have to get to the point where the minimum isn't the maximum. People won't change what they can tolerate. If we can tolerate minimal faith, we won't change it. But sometimes we have to go through a breakdown to get to a breakthrough. See, this, this man is, is so desperate and he's trying to grow and he comes to his knees and Jesus rebukes everybody and he says, unless you see signs and wonders, you won't believe. What Jesus was saying is you guys are caught up in the sizzle and not the steak. See, the miracles are the sizzle. Jesus, the Messiah, is the steak. You can't eat sizzle. You can admire sizzle. You can like sizzle. Sizzle can sound good. It can smell good. But sizzle can't save you. Only steak can save you. And that's what Jesus was saying. We have to understand what faith is. So we talk about faith. Desperate faith, saving faith. How do we define faith? Let's let Scripture define faith. Hebrews 11.1 1 says this. Now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. Let me ask this question. How many of you got in the shower this morning and turned on the shower? Raise your hands if you turned the shower on this morning. If you didn't raise your hand and you didn't shower, people are going to start moving away from you right now. When you had to turn that shower on, you had to have faith. How many of you drove here today? Raise your hands if you drove here today. Did you start your car? Did it, did it turn on? Yeah. You had to have faith. 
that that turned on. See, everybody has faith. We have faith in the shower. We have faith in the car. We have faith in a lot of things. But those things aren't saving faith. Saving faith is seeing Jesus as the Messiah. And a game changer understands that Jesus is not our personal miracle worker, that Jesus is the Messiah to save us from our sins. And if we just accept the minimum that Jesus is a miracle worker, then we miss out on the maximum that Jesus is the Messiah. So there becomes this moment, and, and, and this guy pours his heart out, and he becomes so desperate that he says, Jesus, you've got to come to 20 miles from where we are to where my, 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 my child is so you can heal him. And Jesus says, no. Because there was a belief in the ancient world that if a miracle was going to happen, the one performing it had to be in the presence of the one receiving it. Jesus was about to blow that theory right out of the water. Because this guy was saying, come. He was trying to control how Jesus would respond. And Jesus said very clearly, you are not in control. If you really want to understand saving faith, you've got to be out of control and I've got to be in control. And isn't that the hardest thing? Saving faith means that we don't have control. And we love control, don't we? We love control. We love to control our circumstances. We want to wrap our kids in bubble wrap and keep them in the closet and never let them out. We want to be in control of everything in our life. But we're not in control. And so we become desperate. And so we ask Jesus for a miracle. And that's a desperate faith and not a saving faith. A saving faith says, God, you're in control. I'm giving you my child. I'm giving you my grandchild. I'm giving you my job. I'm giving you my house. I'm giving you my future. Lord, I don't want to be in control because I see you as the Messiah and not just a miracle worker, not just a get out of jail free card person, but as the Messiah from my sins. And so what Jesus says to him and said, I'm not coming 16 miles to do what I can do here. You're not in control of the situation. Jesus says this, go. Your son will live. Jesus didn't say, your son's going to live. Your son is going to get better. Give it some time. Jesus said, your son will live. It is done. It is fixed. It is over. That is the truth. Jesus said, your son will live. And here comes the moment. This guy either had to accept the words of Jesus or reject the words of Jesus. He either was going to say, you know what, I believe what Jesus just told me and I'm going to give him control over the most important thing in my life, which is my son, or I'm not going to believe it and I'm still going to try to control it. He had to decide whether he was going to go from a desperate faith to a saving faith. There was that moment. Every one of us has that choice. Do we accept the word of God or do we reject the word of God? We have to make that choice. You can't be on the fence. You can't sort of accept it. You either accept it or you reject it. And listen to what the scripture says. The man took Jesus at his word. The man took Jesus at his word. So in that moment, he said, I'm not just seeing this guy as a miracle worker. I have to see him as the Messiah. I have to realize that if he's the Messiah, he's the one that can save me from my sins. And if he can save me from my sins, he can heal my son. In that moment, that man had to realize, you know what, I'm a sinner. And this guy, he's more than just a miracle worker. He's the Messiah. He had to accept the word of God. Do we accept the word of God? Do we know the word of God? 
We cannot accept what we do not know. It is amazing to me the era of fake news. We believe everything the media tells us depending on which side you want to listen to. We believe every report that comes out on the internet and we don't question it, but we question the word of God. We got to stop believing in fake news and start knowing the good news. Amen? It is the good news. We have, to, we have to accept it. And this man accepted the good news. He accepted the word of God. He believed the word of God because the word of God is game changing. If you don't believe me, go back to the story of Genesis, Genesis creation story. Think about this. And God said, and God said, and God said. God spoke things into existence. God's word brings new life. God's word creates new life. When we accept the word of God, we are accepting a new life that God will create in us. When we accept that Jesus is the Messiah and not just a miracle worker. When we, when we start to move from having a desperate faith to a saving faith, that is game-changing faith. Do you know who has amazing, amazing, amazing faith? Birds. Birds. Birds have amazing faith. Do you know who else has amazing faith? Lilies. Lilies have amazing faith. Now, before you think I'm a little crazy, or even a lot crazy, listen to what Jesus says in Matthew 6. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more important than food and the body more important than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Who of you by worrying can add a single hour to his life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the lilies of the field grow? They do not labor or spin, yet I tell you that not even Solomon and all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into a fire, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, what shall we drink, what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and you heavenly Father, your heavenly Father knows you need them. But seek first the kingdom and his righteousness... And all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about, him, about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. We have an epidemic of stress and anxiety in our culture. And there is an unbelievable amount of stress and anxiety with our kids. Study after study after study shows that our kids are dealing with anxiety and stress in ways that no generation ever has. The stress and anxiety that's in our culture today is amazing. And it drives people to becoming desperate. And then people believe a desperate faith is somehow a saving faith. When we accept the word of God and we hear that God provides for the birds and the lilies of the field, God will provide for us. And maybe right now you're waiting for God to provide for you. 
Maybe it's a job. Maybe it's a broken relationship. Maybe it's a new relationship. Maybe it's a bad relationship. Maybe it's finances. Maybe it's your kids, your grandkids, or your marriage. Maybe you're waiting. But accept the word of God. Stop living a desperate faith and have a saving faith. And a saving faith says, God will provide. A desperate faith, you know what that produces? Desperation. Do you know what a saving faith produces? Peace, hope, joy. See, we need to hear the word of God. Listen to this text. Listen to what Paul says. Consequently, faith comes from hearing the message. And the message is heard through the word of Christ. We must hear the word of God. We must accept the word of God. We must study the word of God. We must believe the word of God. And we will have a game-changing experience. Game-changing experience. Aren't we tired of living a life of desperation? A life of stress and worry and fear and anxiety and doubt? We don't have to live that way. That's not how God calls us to live. That's not why he sent his son. He sent his son so that when we believe the word of God and accept Jesus as our Messiah and not this desperate miracle worker that we come to, we will be saved. And it's an amazing thing that happens here. And see, this man accepted the word of God. He did not leave immediately and walk the 20 miles back to see his son. If your son or your daughter was dying and on their deathbed, and Jesus said, your son will live, I'm probably still running back just to double check on Jesus to make sure he got the right house. This man stayed. He stayed. So we know that something is changing in this man. Something is changing in his heart. You know, he, he's gone from desperate faith to he's growing in saving faith. He went from not caring to, to caring to saying, I understand that Jesus is the Messiah. I understand I'm, I'm guilty. He's starting to say, you know what? Something's going on in my life. And so he begins the journey back home the next day. And as he begins the journey back home, his servants meet him on the journey. So we know that this guy was successful. He had money. He probably had a nice home. He had people that worked for him. So we know that he exhausted all of his resources, all of his options to save his son. And so as he's, as he's coming home, his servants come out and they say, Master, your son, he's healed. It's a miracle. Your son is healed. And notice what the, what the man asks next. When he inquired as to the time when his son got better. His son, the, the man didn't go, praise God, just a miracle, just a miracle. He didn't have the minimum faith just be that he celebrated a miracle. He could have. Who would have blamed him? His son was dying. His minimum response could have been, I'm just glad my son is alive. But he asked a question because he wanted to go deeper. See, game changers don't just accept the service. They want to go deeper. They want to really know who Jesus is, that he's more than a miracle worker. And they said, this happened at 1 o'clock. And he says, that's the exact time when Jesus said, your son will live. And see, here's the game-changing moment. It says that the man believed. He believed all of a sudden, he went from having a desperate faith to believing and having a saving faith because he understood that Jesus is not just a miracle worker, that he's the Messiah. He had a game-changing moment. He accepted the word of God. He believed the word of God. He trusted the word of God, and his life changed. And the game-changing moment was when he believed. 
We look at this text and we think the game changer is that this child who is dying is now alive. That's not the game changing moment. Jesus doesn't do miracles just to amaze and entertain. He does it to change people's hearts. And this man's heart was changed. He believed. And you know how we know he believed? Because he's all in. He's all in. Because it says he believed and his entire household. So it means he shared his faith. He shared his faith with his wife, shared his faith clearly with his son. He may have had other kids. He shared his faith with all of his servants. And they all believed. They all went from being desperate to being delivered. I don't know about you, but I'm tired of being desperate. I'm tired of feeling desperate in my life. I want to I be delivered from the, from the stress and the anxiety and the worry that is all around us in our world. And the only way that happens is if we accept the word of God. That's what this man did. He accepted the word of God. I want to show you six things that this man did. Six things. There's something that we can do. Number one, he went to Jesus. He humbled himself before Jesus. He listened to Jesus. He believed in Jesus. And he shared Jesus. Those are six things that if we do... We're going to see God work. See, all of us, all of us have to struggle sometimes. And we have to have a breakdown to go through a breakthrough. Sometimes we need to kind of check in and say, where am I at in my relationship with God? Where is my faith? Is my faith a desperate faith or is my faith a saving faith? Well, we want to help you with that. So we've got some, some things that we're going to hand out here. I think Joe and our ushers are going to hand them out. And it's from um, our good friend Lincoln Murdoch at Step Up to Life. And we're going to go ahead and put up to, I don't know if we have the, the full graphic, or is that the only one we've got? Okay. There are steps on this that you will see that you can say, what kind of faith do I have? Do I have a desperate faith or do I have a saving faith? And we want everybody to take one of these. And I want to just show you and walk you very quickly through this that you can look at this and it's a great way to check in on where are you at in your relationship with God? Where are you at in your faith? The first one, like the royal official, was he didn't care. He says, I don't need God. I don't really care about the spiritual thing. I'm just here to check a box. Or maybe you're to the point where you say, I care. I got some stuff going on. You know what? Maybe your circumstances have made you where you need God. And you need God not just as a miracle worker, but you need Him as the Messiah. Maybe you're at the place that says, I'm guilty. You know what? I've sinned. I've messed up. I feel the weight of those sins. I don't like doing these things. I don't like doing it. Or maybe you're at the point that says, I'm changing. Something's going on in my life. You want to make a radical life change. You're ready to do a spiritual U-turn and say, I want to give my life to Christ. Or maybe you're all in, like this man was. Maybe you're all in and you're saying, you know what? I want to give my life to Christ. I don't want to deal with the stress and the worry and the doubt and the anxiety that comes with my life. Look, we're not going to ask you to, to fill the back out and turn it in. That's between you and God. That's absolutely between you and God. And here's the good news. No matter where you are on this, we want to walk with you. If you are at the I don't care stage, we want to get you to the I care stage. If you're at the I care stage, we want to get you to the I'm guilty stage. We want to get you to the place where you can say, I'm all in, and I want to give my life to Christ. And I want to share my faith with others. 
If you're already all in, this is a great tool to kind of start to think this way when you start to talk to your colleagues, your coworkers, your, your schoolmates, your neighbors, your family members, say, where do I think these people are? Where are they at? And then it gives you a chance to ask them a question. I'm going to ask our music ministry to come back up. And isn't it great to hear the kids just screaming? And isn't it great that you're in here and they're over there? And isn't it great that we've got kids that are just learning about Jesus and kids that are learning that there is hope and kids that, that are learning that when you accept the word of God, it is game changing in your life. I want to give you three things to think about. I would encourage you write these down. Talk about these over lunch. Talk about these in the car. Wrestle with them this week. Number one, do you only come to Jesus out of desperation? Is the only time you get to your knees to come before Jesus is when life becomes desperate. Number two, do you take Jesus at his word? We take everything that other people tell us, everything we read on the news, but do you take Jesus at his game-changing word? And number three, is your, more, is your faith more desperate or deliberate? Are you deliberately saying, I want to go deeper? I want to know Jesus Christ as my Savior and Lord. Will you pray with me? Our Father and our God, we thank you. We know that, Father, you are working. And Lord, we know that so many of us can become desperate. And Lord, there are probably some in here right now who are desperate, find themselves at a breakdown moment. Father, I pray that you would lead them to a breakthrough. I pray, Lord, that you would show them that desperate faith is not saving faith and that saving faith is not desperate. Father, I pray that whatever it is that is causing us pain or fear, anxiety or worry, Father, I pray that you would take it. I pray, Lord, that we would begin that journey like the royal official did, throwing himself at the feet of Jesus, being willing to accept the words of Jesus, and then to rejoice in the hope of Jesus today. Father, I pray that you would just use this word in somebody's heart right now. Somebody's heart right now that is so desperate, Lord, desperate for answers, de desperate for truth, desperate for comfort. Lord, I pray that they would accept your word and feel that anxiety, that worry, that doubt, that desperation fade away, that they would come, Lord, come to a saving, game-changing faith in Jesus.